right, getting myself organized up here. This morning, as, as Pete mentioned, we are joining with many other churches around the country to celebrate and observe Orphan Sunday, a day to remember the Bible's call to care for the vulnerable and fatherless among us and around the world. And so we're going to step away from Romans for just this Sunday, but in reality, uh, the themes that we'll be talking about today could just as well be preached out of Romans 8, where we're coming from. But uh, we're going to turn to another letter of Paul's writings, this one to the letter of the, uh, to the church in, in uh, Galatia. So please turn to page 974 of your pew Bibles. We'll read the end of Galatians 3 and the beginning of Galatians 4. I invite you now to pray with me for the illumination of God's Holy Spirit. Loving God, we pray that you would nourish us this morning through your word and at your table. We thank you for the ways, the many ways that we discover your faithfulness and are reminded of your goodness. And we pray that you would be faithful to your word and your gospel this morning as we read and consider the promises of your good news this morning. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to obey. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we'll begin reading in verse 25 of Galatians chapter 3. I invite you to hear now the word of the Lord. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or f- and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In recent years in the church, particularly in the United States, there has been a renewed interest in this topic of adoption and orphan care. Um, Many churches now uh, consider this to be a significant part of their life and their ministry, but the truth is it's actually not a new idea, but a renewal of an idea that has a recovery of an idea that is actually as old as the Christian faith. Um, The church, even in its very beginnings in ancient Rome, was known for this uh, kind of ministry and mission in the world. In fact, um, in ancient Rome, long before Christians gathered in churches, when they were a tiny persecuted minority, they gained a distinctive and peculiar reputation because, you see, in ancient Rome, it was legitimate and actually not unusual 
for families to abandon children if they did not think they could care for them, especially children who were female or who were disabled, were actually often left outside uh, on the hillsides and in the, in, the, in the fields to perish. It was something called infant exposure, and though it sounds horrifying to us at that time, it was very common. But in this context, Christians became known as those who would rescue these infants and adopt them, take them in and raise them in their own families. And historians now look at these sorts of distinctive qualities and practices of the early Christians as the sorts of things that encouraged the explosive growth of the Christian church, even though it was um, a situation where Christians were persecuted in early Rome. Though it was difficult to be a Christian in those days, people were attracted to the Christian way of mercy and of love. And this was one of the things that Christians were known for. They were the ones who would take in these children, caring for the orphan, the weak, the vulnerable, and the powerless. And I'm very grateful to God that this is an emphasis that's being renewed in our day. But what I want to invite us to consider today is why did early Christians do this? Or what gave them lenses to see what no one else in their society could see, the value of these children? What fueled this sacrificial love of neighbor that was so countercultural? And I also want to consider with, us, with you this morning what might cause a similar kind of radical compassion in our lives. What might give us lenses to see through the destructive impulses of our own culture and to care in practical and real ways for the poor and the ignored in our day? And the answer to these questions, I believe, is the gospel, what I'm calling this morning the gospel of adoption. Usually when we think of adoption, we think of it on a horizontal plane. Uh, We think of what we just witnessed with the Clark family, uh, families welcoming children into their homes. But our passage today invites us to think of adoption not only horizontally but vertically. Indeed, it invites us to consider the whole story of salvation in the Bible as a story of adoption, and thus to see ourselves as those who have been adopted by God. J.I. Packer has written, quote, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. The entire Christian life has to be understood in terms of it. And so Orphan Sunday is important not only because it promotes a necessary form of Christian compassion, of which there are many kinds. It matters because we need to understand the salvation that God has won for us as it is described in the gospel. And nothing does it like the theme of adoption. Indeed, God saves us by adopting us. If you look at our passage this morning, you see Paul writes, beginning in verse 3, that once you were not in God's family, rather you were enslaved to the elemental, elementary principles of the world. But he writes, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law. Now you could just stop there, and you would have what most of us would consider a comprehensive description of the gospel. Once we were lost, we were slaves to sin, but God sent his son to redeem us. But it's interesting to note that Paul, in this passage, does not stop there. He goes on in verse 5 to say that God sent his son to redeem those who were under the law so that there's some other purpose beyond redemption that God is seeking, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
So Paul is saying that the goal of salvation is adoption. Redemption was unto adoption. He redeemed us so that he could do something else, adopt us. Now this idea brings so many different aspects of the Christian life into focus when we put on the lenses of the gospel of adoption. We see first that sin, the sin from which we were saved, was something far more than just um, making bad choices or doing this or doing that. Rather, Paul is describing sin as a confining, enslaving kind of condition. We were held under a guardian. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world that we, sin is something that we cannot get ourselves out of. It affects us negatively. It makes it impossible for us to love and be loved as we were supposed to. As Bethany and I prepared to um, adopt Timofey, we learned about the situation in institutions where children, because of their lack of attention from adults, uh, from caring mothers and fathers, they are affected in ways that make it impossible for them to love and be loved as they were supposed to. And so we begin to think of our sinful condition as not just a list of arbitrary rules that we violate or not, but as a kind of life that is confined, not the full life that God created us for. And a life in which we are stuck and we cannot get out on our own. We need someone to come and get us out of this orphanage of our sin. And so we read, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us out of that situation so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is how our passage describes salvation out of slavery and into sonship. Think about the other common pictures we have of salvation. We often talk about how when God saves us, the guilty are declared righteous. And that's true. We're told how the prisoner is set free, which is true. We're told that the broken are healed. And indeed, the gospel is all of those things, but it is all of them and more. God doesn't stop by, by setting free the prisoner and saying, well, now I've set you free, you figure it out on your own from here. God doesn't declare the guilty innocent and then say, don't mess it up again, I'm only going to do this once. He doesn't heal the broken and then leave them to figure it out on their own. No, he takes the broken, guilty prisoner and he places us as children in his own family. And he puts the spirit of his son into our hearts so that what is true of Jesus as the only begotten son of God becomes true of us. He views us in the same way as adopted sons and daughters of God. These other images, though they're partially true, don't explain the breadth of what the Bible describes as happening when we are saved. Have you ever noticed that when Paul is writing to his um, fellow believers, he refers to them as brother and sister? Now, that doesn't happen when a a criminal who has been acquitted of his crime is not then a brother. A prisoner who is set free is not automatically a brother. A broken person who has experienced healing is not necessarily a sister. That is family language that only comes about because of the final step of salvation, where God makes us family. Indeed, invites us to call him our father. Now think about that. That only makes sense if we're viewing salvation as adoption. 
Guilty criminals don't go and call the judge father. Only people, children who have been adopted can call someone who was not their father a father. All throughout our passage, we see this language of, you are now a son. And in this time, of course, to be a son was to be entitled to all uh, that the father would, um, the estate of the father. And so every time you read language in the New Testament about our inheritance that is waiting for us, that is language that only makes sense if we understand the gospel as an adoption. Indeed, this morning we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper, and what a, what a perfect image it is of being welcomed into the family of God, where God sets a place at the table for us who have been brought into his family. There is no better, no fuller picture of salvation, as the Bible describes it, as an orphan child being welcomed into a family. For that child, everything changes. The old life has gone, and the new life has come. And that is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We see it over and over again in our passage. Verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Verse 29, if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now think about that for just a second. Any of us who are Gentiles by birth, who are not Jews, we have no biological claim to be Abraham's descendants, the one to whom God promised he would bless all the world, the covenant family. I have no biological claim to be part of that family. But Paul is saying that if you belong to Christ, then you have been made a part of the family of Abraham by adoption. Verse 6 and 7 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts and enables us to call God Abba, Father. So no longer are we slaves, but we are sons We are daughters, and if a son, then an heir through God. And so God's salvation has this goal, God's adoption of sinners to be his sons and daughters. I think now we have an answer as to why the orphan preoccupied the minds and ministry of the church throughout the centuries. Because with a gospel like this, with a salvation like this, when the early church and the church today looks out at orphan children through the lens of the gospel, they see themselves before their rescue by Jesus. With a gospel like this, how could we not care for orphans when the Lord who has visited us in our affliction has says, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. The one who said, as you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. How could we who have received this grace not extend that same grace that we have received to people who are in the same need from which we have been rescued? How could we not give ourselves to the cause of the fatherless and the widow when, as James 1.27 tells us, it is the very heart of pure religion? How could we not? And what if we did? What if the Church of Jesus Christ was known today not for fill-in-the-blank, but for being those people who selflessly and sacrificially love the most vulnerable among us and in the world? What if the church was known as the place where you could go to find families and a family who really treated each other as brothers and sisters, as true family, no matter their race or age or gender, but had truly become convinced that because they shared the same father, 
because they had been adopted into the same family, they were truly brothers and sisters. What if the church was a place where fatherless kids found a place of welcome and support and love that they could find nowhere else? What if the church said, if this is what the gospel is about, then this is what we are going to be about. We are going to show what the gospel does. We are going to support a single mom who is struggling in every way that we can. We are going to support those with, who are um, fostering kids and adopting kids. We are going to do it ourselves. We are going to be those who give of our time and talent and treasure for those who are suffering in this way. What if Christians again became known as the community who welcome and care for children that no one else wants? Well, I think that the world would see the gospel embodied as well as hear it proclaimed. The church would not only hear what the gospel was about, but they would see it in flesh, in living color. Because the church that is defined and characterized by this radical and sacrificial and committed love for the orphan is the church that demonstrates in its life the gospel that it proclaims with its lips. Loving with the same shape and content as the way God has loved us. And of course, the need is huge. Our particular story that we shared this morning in the children's message worked out astonishingly and miraculously well. It's purely by God's mercy and grace that our story is a happy story to tell. And so we definitely want to praise his faithfulness to us, but we also need to be reminded and to remember in our comfort and complacency that there are millions of Timofeys who are still out there waiting and suffering. And they're not just in Russia, they're not just in other parts of the world. Jason Kovacs points out that there are roughly 130,000 orphans in the American foster care system. He says this nation has more evangelical churches than it does waiting children. So the question is, in a country as wealthy as ours, why are there any waiting children? It's a good thing that Christians are becoming known as those who respond to our vertical adoption by extending that same grace in horizontal adoption. But this is a problem that is going to take a lot more than just adoption as well. The church will have to care for structures of poverty. They'll have to care for um, providing situations for families to raise their own children. They will have to support and care in innumerable ways. And there is a way for each of us to get involved. Out and around in the church, there are these uh, little cards that say 10 ways that you can care for the orphan and the child in foster care. And so I encourage you to take one on your way out and ask yourself, only one of these 10 ways is to adopt. And so we shouldn't limit the way that God might call us to care for the orphan and the fatherless and the widow among us. We should not limit the way that God would call us to visit them in their affliction. The point of Orphan Sunday is that if this is a central feature of the gospel that saves us, then it needs to be central, a central feature to the gospel that we proclaim and live. Because this crisis is only something that can be met by the church's gospel-shaped life, and the only thing that will sustain the gospel-shaped life is the full gospel, the one that doesn't just stop at forgiveness but moves on to reconciliation, the one that doesn't just stop at redemption but moves on to adoption, the one that is the full and complete gospel that Paul is describing in our passage today. It's the only thing that will empower us to work and love and serve and give so that the world's orphans are orphans no more. The astonishing declaration 
that because of Jesus Christ, we are, we can be orphans no more. So let us, as the church of Jesus Christ, as those adopted into the family of God, embrace that identity of adopted sons and daughters that the gospel invites us to be and tells us that we are, and let us love the orphan and the fatherless in our midst as the gospel calls us to do for the glory of the triune God, who even now invites us to the table, our place set, so that we could be orphans no more. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. When we were alone and without hope, you reached down and rescued us and brought us not only out of our confining slavery to sin, but into your family where you would care for us and love us and never leave us or forsake us. So as we come to the table this morning, we ask you to nourish us not only with your gospel, not only with these symbols of your sacrificial love for us, the cost of our redemption, the cost of our adoption, but that you would nourish us with the very spirit of adoption that enables us to call out to you as Abba Father. And then as you form us into the body of Christ, send us out to love with this same gospel with which we have been loved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.